Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. DMV Download, the new daily podcast from WTOP News is out now. Hosts Megan Clorty and Luke Garrett get the story behind the story. Every weekday afternoon, Megan and I will go beyond the headlines with WTOP reporters and sources to bring you more on the biggest local stories impacting you, our fellow Washingtonians. The DMV Download podcast is available now on all major podcast platforms. Subscribe today so you don't miss an episode. The DMV Download podcast is presented by Steamfitters Local 602. Welcome to the newest episode of Beyond the Fame with Jason Fraley. I'm your host, Jason Fraley, picking the brains of the top filmmakers, musicians, and artists of our time. Tonight marks the 30th anniversary of Jay Leno taking over for Johnny Carson full-time on The Tonight Show on May 25, 1992. I spoke to Leno in 2017 when he performed a live stand-up gig at the Kennedy Center in Washington, D.C. Hey, it's Jay Leno. How you doing? Hey, how are you, sir? Tell a few jokes and try to make a living, you know? That's the, <laughs> that's the life right there. All right, cool. That's the life. <laughs> now, uh, aren't you still doing like 100-plus live comedy dates a year still? Actually, about 210, something like that. Yeah, yeah. Wow. Well, you know, I was a stand-up comedian before I got The Tonight Show, and I would stand up here during The Tonight Show, and now the show's over, that's what I'm back to doing again. And uh, it's fun. I actually like it. It's actually really good. <laughs> Coming full circle. Well, so speaking of which, what what can we expect from this show? Uh, some laughs, I guess. I mean, I'm not going to switch to modern interpretive dance, and I'm not going to give my uh, political opinion, but we'll have plenty of jokes. <laughs> so it's not really a, a political comedy kind of a thing? No, I think you can do some. I mean, I think all comedians are expected to do some political stuff one way or the other. Um, I mean, I'll throw, you know, my attitude is when you're a comedian, is like being a lawyer. It's not a matter of guilt or innocence. It's about doing comedy. If the comedy happens to be one way or the other, that's fine. You know, I did a joke in Boston the other day, which almost got me killed, but it was a funny joke. I said, a liar, a cheater, and a murderer walk into a bar. Bartender says, hey, Patriots in town. Okay, well, that almost got me killed. But, <laughs> and, and, and I'm from Boston, but sorry, it's a funny joke. Was that you got to do it. Was that before or after Super Bowl number five? Oh, well, that was in and around. Oh, know? good. Hey, you know, you got to go for you got to go for the juggler sometimes, even if it gets you killed. That's right, exactly. Oh, that's great. Will this be your first time back at Kennedy Center since the Mark Twain Prize? No, I think I had one show there uh, a couple of years ago, and uh, no, no, probably the second time. It's a, it, I mean, it's a great room. It's a Kennedy Center. You know. Absolutely. I, I just missed you because I covered the first one I covered was Eddie Murphy and then Bill Murray last year. I think you were in 2014. So any memories of, of that amazing night? Well, I mean, it was great fun. It was exciting. And it was, you know, it was one of those things that, um, let's be honest, people usually campaign for awards like Emmys. You put yourself up for it or right. even the Golden Globes. You buy a lovely gift for a member <laughs> of the foreign press. You know, was this one of those things where they just call you up one day? 
and you don't really apply for it or ask for it or be, ask to even be considered for it. So that's why it was uh, really cool. Oh, absolutely. Um, every time I have uh, you know a Tonight Show host or a late night host on, I always I'm always curious about your approach to your your interview style. Do you have any any thoughts along those lines? Um, well, that's I mean, what I do is I usually go in the dressing room before the show and talk to the guests. Now, there are people that think this is horrible, and people think it's very good. I mean, other talk show guests. Some guests want to have everything totally spontaneous. For example, if I have a guest that just got busted for cocaine or whatever it is, yeah, you know, some something terrible, I will say to them, look, you're in the papers for this. I have to ask you about it. You can choose not to answer. Right. You can avoid the question if you want. But I've got to ask because that's my job. And they go, oh, okay. And then they're not sitting there on pins and needles waiting for the question and not paying attention to what you're saying to them. And, and plus, when you talk to them before the show, they realize, Oh, okay. You're not out for blood here. You know, I, mm-hmm. I never put myself ahead of the interview. To me, you should always be second to the guest. Uh, sometimes that works. Some people, sometimes it doesn't. The one thing it doesn't assure you is that the guest will come back again because <laughs> they felt they've been treated fairly. Right. You know, right, right. So that's sort of your your breaking the ice uh, approach as opposed to just coming out and hitting them with the cameras rolling. Yeah, exactly. I mean, that's nobody like. I mean, one of the best was and the most famous one was was. Um, uh, Hugh Grant, mm-hmm. you know, uh, Hugh Grant showed up by himself, no publicist, no agent. I went in and I was smiling, went into the room. I said, how you doing? He goes, fine, fine. Just let me have it. I said, okay. I said, look, you know, I got to ask you about it. He goes, oh, I know. Don't worry about it. Okay, <laughs> fine. And he had a real good sense of humor about it. And he was very funny and, and it got us huge ratings and it was great. I mean, the ones that, you know, the celebrities that bring all their press people. I, I can remember one time we had, I can't remember her name. There was some uh, ice skating star who had been in the Olympics who was like America's sweetheart. <laughs> and like 10 years later, she's in Playboy magazine, naked, you know. So we get a call from Playboy and the press agent. Would we like to... And I said to somebody in the meeting, well, is this a good second or third guest? You know, America's sweetheart, she's now naked in Playboy. <laughs> okay, fine. All right, so we book her for second or third guest. I go in the dressing room to say hello. The agent says, Miss Lano, come here. Uh, we are not discussing Playboy. We're not discussing. I said, great. Take your client and go home. I can get a comic here in 20 minutes. So that's not a problem. Thank you for coming. I'm sorry it didn't work out. Okay, okay, okay. I said, look, you called us. Your client is naked in Playboy magazine. Okay? That's what we, we have to ask you about that. Don't say no right. after you beg to be on. And, uh, okay, and it went fine. You know, I was fortunate enough to have dinner with every single president since Gerald Ford. And the only time I was nervous, the first time I ever did a Washington Correspondence Dinner, I did it with Reagan. Mm-hmm. So I'm backstage in that kind of green room thing, and I see this general come in with all the medals, and he's looking at me, he goes, hey, you, are you the comedian? Come over here. <laughs> he says, this is my commander-in-chief. Do you understand that? You don't make fun of him. You don't denigrate him. He is the leader of the free world. And he's poking me while he's doing all this, you know? Yeah. And I said, yes, sir. Thank you. Thank you. And then he leaves, and I go, oh, man. Then George Schultz comes in, and George has had a couple of drinks. He goes, well, no, come here. When you get out there, nail Ronnie. Nail his ass to the wall. And he's <laughs> laughing, and he slapped me on the back, you know. And I said, are you sure? I said, that general goes, ah, screw him. He works for me. You don't worry about that. Just go out there and let him have it, you know. <laughs> and I'm like, so now I go, what do I do? And now I'm like, I don't know what to do. Because, I mean, it was just a weird sort of situation. Yeah. But I remember the opening joke was... Uh, 
I want to congratulate Nancy Reagan for winning the Humanitarian of the Year Award. I'm glad she beat out that conniving little shit, Mother Teresa. I'm not, I've got to laugh. <laughs> Any of the, uh, you know, let's say, like, fellow showbiz folks you got to talk to, like Dick Cavett was Groucho Marx, you know, that was his childhood hero. Anyone like that for you that you grew up watching and then, oh, my God, here here they are. Oh, gosh. Uh, yeah, I mean, boy, there are a lot of those. Well, you know, Sean Connery was kind of cool. Because <laughs> when you're a kid, you know, I yeah. when you're 14, when Goldfinger came out, you know, <laughs> so it's called, oh, gee. <laughs> you know, he has that sort of a, He yeah. was always kind of a cool guy. Sean Connery was kind of cool. Uh, I mean, there was an awful lot. I mean, they sort of escaped me now. I mean, just Johnny Carson, obviously. That was pretty mm-hmm. impressive. Um, you, know, you know, all the big comics in my era, Rickles, Newhart, you know, that was an amazing time. Absolutely. You mentioned you mentioned Carson. Uh, take us back to your first uh, appearance. I think it was in 1977. Right. Well, you know, there's a whole process to it. Uh, you know, Johnny would first they send scouts in to see you, and then Johnny came in to see me once, and he gave me some good advice. He said, uh, he pulled me aside. He said, you know, you're you're a good performer, but you need a little stronger material. And he said to me, what you should do is you should write your jokes out and read them to people first. And if the joke gets a laugh, then you know you got a solid joke. Then add your performance to it. He said, if you take a weak joke and really sell it hard, you'll still get a laugh but it won't be a solid laugh. So you want a joke that works on two fronts. It works if you say it in the dullest, most boring way possible. And that means it'll really work when you put a little body English into it and you sell it. And that was the best advice I ever got, and that was uh, that was really true. Oh, that's great. And then so you started being a regular substitute in 87, take over in, right. in 92. What was it like right. sitting down in that chair being, you know, saying, wow, I am officially... Carson's official full-time replacement now. Do you remember that very first show? Where well, it was just I don't think I ever said to people, I am officially, <laughs> because that, that's something you more do for third-world dictators. And things. But um, it was, you know, you're only as good as your last show, mm-hmm. and if you hosted one night and it didn't go well, ooh, boy, they're going to watch that next show pretty carefully. If that one doesn't go well, well, then you're not the the official, as you say, guest host anymore. Right. So you're sort of on pins and needles all the time. It's it's never anything you take for granted. Yeah. And speaking of you're only as good as your last show, I'll never forget your your the last one you did when you had Billy Crystal and Garth Brooks on. Why was it important to have those two on your, your send-off? Oh, you know, Garth and Billy, I've known since the first days of show business for me, so that was kind of fun. I mean, Billy and I go way back to the 70s, mm-hmm. you know. And of course, Garth, you know, in the early 90s when he started. So, yeah, that was great fun. Stay tuned for the rest of my conversation with Jay Leno, but first a message from a fellow WTOP podcast. DMV Download, the new daily podcast from WTOP News, is out now. Hosts Megan Clorty and Luke Garrett get the story behind the story. Every weekday afternoon, Megan and I will go beyond the headlines with WTOP reporters and sources to bring you more on the biggest local stories impacting you, our fellow Washingtonians. The DMV Download podcast is available now on all major podcast platforms. Subscribe today so you don't miss an episode. The DMV Download podcast is presented by Steamfitters Local 602. 
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. I'm Bradley Trainer, And I'm Don McClain. We have a podcast called Blinded by the Item. A blind item is gossip about a celebrity with their name left out. It's a guessing game and you can play along. The item might be like, this A-list star carries a Birkin bag worth more than the average person's house to the gym to work out. Pretty sure that's J-Lo. And P.S. The person behind all of this is Chris Jenner, LLC. We drop a new episode every weekday so the fun never ends. Blinded by the Item. Listen wherever you get podcasts and watch us on the Blinded by the Item YouTube channel. Welcome back to Beyond the Fame for the rest of my conversation with Jay Leno. Do you miss it? Do you miss doing The Tonight Show? Um... Well, yes and no. I mean, at some point you say, you know, when you're 40 and you're talking to the 26-year-old supermodel, it's sexy. When you're 66, you're the creepy old guy, okay? You know, I mean, at some point I shouldn't have to know all of Jay-Z's music, you know? Right. I mean, when you're my age, you're pretending to, well, you know, Tupac once told me, uh, you, know, you just sound ridiculous, okay? Uh, so you have to know when to step aside. You can, you can only live in the time that you live in. And during the time, you know, I was lucky. I, I did it at a time when Clinton was horny and Bush was dumb, and it was just easy, you know? <laughs> I mean, the Clinton thing was the golden age of comedy. Most people don't know anything about Syria. They don't understand the Middle East. Right. But by golly, everybody knows somebody like Bill, you know? Right, right. Gosh, you know, and that's why you could, the jokes, again, you know, the best comedy, we Americans will accept anything except hypocrisy. Yeah. Because we're very forgiving. People can do the most harm. I remember when Charlie Sheen was on Tonight Show, and I asked him a question. And Charlie Sheen said, you know, I just like hookers and cocaine. And he only applauded. I go, why are you applauding? <laughs> they were applauding because he was so honest. Not because he, it was, they weren't applauding hookers and cocaine. They were applauding the fact that, hey, at least the guy's being honest, you know? Yeah, I, I think... mean, whether it's Jimmy Swaggart or whoever it might be, there's nothing funnier than, you know, I did not have sex with that woman. Well, that's the greatest line ever i mean what's funnier than that <laughs> that's great you, you really you truly were you know the the captain of the ship during some amazing times with plenty of material <laughs> it, was, it was great fun absolutely and then uh and then passing the torch to, to fallon i know you you popped you popped on his show and did, did a guest thing every now and then what do you what do you make of his you know stewardship of the great legacy of that show oh he's doing you know he's probably closer to johnny in demeanor than almost anybody. You know, he's young, he's good-looking, he can play an instrument, he can sort of move and dance, you know. Um, you know, so Letterman or I, I dance around. It just didn't happen, you know. Uh, so I know, I think I think Jimmy does, uh, does a great job. He brings another whole dimension to the show. I mean, when we did this show, the focus was always on the monologue. Now the focus is on, you know, viral videos and getting those things out and all that kind of stuff. Absolutely. You mentioned Letterman. Um, what what was his sort of sort of gift? Uh, what did what was he, what did he bring to the comedy world? I know I hate I hate when people try to pit entertainers against each other, whether it's you know Letterman or, or back and forth with you know. Well, the interesting thing was when we started, we saw we all sort of started together, right? And the first time I saw Letterman, I thought he was a brilliant wordsmith. He could stand on stage 
and weave words in an interesting way. I remember one of his early bits was about he talked about working at a local TV station and the you know the editorials the manager would always do. And one of the subjects is we here at KW whatever it is are diametrically opposed to the use of orphans as yardage markers on public golf courses. And I thought it was it's, he just the way he wove those elements all together was really funny. And I walked up to him and I introduced myself. You know, I said, "Oh man, you're that's really great." And then he watched me perform and he said to me. How can you be so loose up there? I mean, just kind of loud and yelling at you. I, he said, I could never. Okay, so I think he took from me maybe some performing ability and, and confidence. And I took from him, oh, you know, just think about what you say a little more carefully and read those phrases and words together. So it, it was sort of a mutual admiration deal, you know? Absolutely. And to have you guys, you know, on different channels in the same time slot, I, mean, I think I think it's like a rising tide raises all boats. I really think you guys kind of upped each other's game. And so I, we were blessed to have you both on the air for as long as we did. I mean, well, that's very kind. Well, thank you. Thank you. Thank you very much. What about speaking of uh, the things we got to ask you, like you said earlier, I mean, what about the whole Conan deal? Go- I mean, what what was his gift? Oh, Conan's Conan, Conan very good. Yeah. Uh, Conan's excellent. Yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, when Conan first came on, uh, I remember... They had him literally on a week to week, and I, I went to the network and said, "You know, the guys can't go week to week. Nobody can live like that." So I promoted him every night after the show. And you know what happens is basically business. It's just business. Um, it really comes down to everybody's trying to who are you going to make more money with this guy or go with this guy. And right. I think I, I was someone who always believed I'd never like pay or play. By that, I mean there are people who have contracts. If they don't use you, when they got to pay you the money. Yeah. Well, I always made sure my contract was pay and play. If you're going to use me, you have to play me, and you have to pay me. Right, right. So when they decided to switch off, my contract said I had five years left. Okay. And by over the course of that five years, Craig Ferguson came on. He went opposite uh, Conan at CBS, and his thing was climbing, and you know, NBC was like, hmm, are we making the right deal here? And, and, you know, they tried to have both. And for a while they did, and it worked fine. But when it fell apart, boy, it fell apart terribly. I don't, uh, I don't, you know, like I said, I don't blame Conan. He, I don't, I don't know. It's just, it's a business decision. You know, I, I would read things constantly about how, okay, Lenny, you took, you, you, you gave the show to Conan, then you demanded it back, and they had to give it to you. I mean, they had to give it to me. No, no. This, this, is, this is TV. They don't have to give you anything. It's all a business decision, and that, and that's what it was. I mean, it's uh, it's too bad, you know. I think I lost a friend at the time, and so did he. Yeah, well, like you said, it's showbiz, and uh, I just think back of all those those great years where you guys were the one-two punch. You would kill it in tonight's show, and then he would follow you up with those, you know, Triumph the Comic Dog and just all that great stuff. So, uh, it's always I, great fun. It's great fun. Yeah, so thank, thanks for to, to all, all that you've done with that. And then I think recently I saw you. What have you been up to lately? I think I saw you on a Netflix show about uh, talking cars. It's a Netflix series. Every no, other- I didn't. You know, some, someone else mentioned it to me. I, I think I was on there, but I didn't know about it. But, uh, I mean, I do Jay Leno's Garage on CNBC, but, yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, no, it was a great episode, even though you don't remember doing it. <laughs> but I do. Uh, can well, we- no, I mean, you know, sometimes you do it for one thing and it shows up somewhere else. I, I think you. that's what this was a case of, yeah, yeah. I got gotcha. you. But the one I did enjoy was you doing uh, didn't, uh, Comedians in Cars with Jerry. <laughs> yeah, that was great fun. I, you know, Jerry's one of my closest friends, one of my oldest friends, so that was really fun. 
Absolutely. What, when did you get into cars? What started that whole obsession with you? Well, I grew up in a rural area in Massachusetts. You know, we couldn't go places virtually. We had to go places in reality. You know, so that was a totally different thing right there. Um, so cars were really your only way out, you know. Uh, you know, I lived in a little house. We had one bathroom. We had one phone in the kitchen. So if you're trying to talk to a girl, your mother saw us within 10 feet. What, what are you saying? <laughs> what are you talk, who are you talking with? It's 9 o'clock at night. And whenever I called at 9 o'clock at night, my father would only hoodlums are up after 9 o'clock at night. You know? <laughs> he would only hoodlums talk on the phone at midnight. You know, my father hilarious. <laughs> yeah, I, I thought it was nothing good happens after midnight, but for your parents it was 9 o'clock. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, they were always the three hours behind there. Yeah, yeah it's like the the time zone thing or something. Uh, awesome. Well, bringing it full circle, you've been more than generous with your time. You know, uh, why should we come out at Kennedy Center? What final pitch? Well, it's just uh, I think there's a lot of humor. I think you'll enjoy it. A lot of funny stories and a lot of growing up stories. Uh, um, it's a it's a fairly clean show. I don't work dirty. That doesn't mean I'm making balloon animals, but <laughs> I think you can talk about adult subjects in a adult way. So uh, I hope people come by and check it out. Awesome. Thank you so much. Mr. Jay Leno, it's an honor. Thanks for joining us. Hey, thank you. Thanks so much for joining us on Beyond the Fame with Jason Fraley. Remember to hit the subscribe button and give us a five-star rating if you like what you hear. We'll see you next time. I wanted to take a second to tell you about an app I really enjoy. Living in the D.C. area is great, and Podcast D.C. gathers all of the local shows that I like all in one local app. Health, sports, local news, politics, and so much more. Podcast D.C. is the new local app with hundreds of D.C. area podcasts to choose from. I can earn exciting rewards just for listening and share the podcasts I love instantly. Available in the App Store or in Google Play, listen local with Podcast D.C.